Do we not? Yes. Amen. Amen. Our core kids are dismissed. As you open your Bible to the book of James, chapter 1. And if you are able to remain standing for the reading of God's word, please do so. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 12, when you got it, say so. This is what it says. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone else. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. We thank you for your presence that is here now, Lord. And we just ask you, Spirit of God, that you would captivate our hearts and our minds as we sit before your word today. May we hear what you are saying to us. May we receive it into our spirit, into our soul, and may we live it out, God. Give us the faith to accomplish what your will is as your sons and your daughters, Lord God. Let us not be idle in our hearing, but God, let us be obedient in, in response to you. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, would you just raise your hand and hold it up? Ushers will get you an outline. I want to make sure that everybody is able to follow along with us in this outline, able to take notes and able to utilize it hopefully to make disciples to help someone else grow in their faith and hopefully help you grow in your faith as well. Um, today we are in the um, 134th day of our Bible reading challenge. For those of you that are following along, we are in 2 Chronicles, that's 2 Chronicles chapter 31 through 33. And so my hope and prayer is that you are following along and that you are reading the scriptures daily. And one other thing that we did, as, as some of you know, whenever we go through a book of the Bible, what I try to do is give you a memory verse to go along with that book. And so our memory verse, if you remember from last week, is going to be James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And so just real quick, did, did, has anyone memorized it yet? No? <laughs> Y'all are not doing good. This is not a good situation here. Y'all got to memorize the scriptures, but I'm going to help you out, all right? So we're going to say it together every week. Say every week. 
We're going to say it together three times uh, together on Sundays. We're going to walk through it together so you can memorize it, you know, just right now. You can memorize it right now and you leave here and just start, you know, quoting it, you know, as you pray for your food. Because I know you're going to pray for your food that you can eat after here. Um, you know, just quote it a, a few times during the day. But we're going to go through that because I really want you to grasp the scripture. And so let's go ahead and read along. Look at your Bible in verse 2 through 4, and we're going to read it together. So one, two, three, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's do it again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now look up. Don't look at your Bible. Ready? Let's say it together. Come on now. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Look at that. You memorize that. Give yourself a hand. Come on. This is, listen, if there's, a, if there's any scripture memory verse that is easy to remember, it's this one. And the reason is because it just flows together. Like you remember perfect goes with perfect and then complete. Like it just flows together, right? So you can memorize this. So next week I'm going to have one of y'all come up here. I'm just going to be, it's going to be random. I want y'all to come. It's not going to be random. I want y'all to come back. I'm not coming next week because I don't want to get called on randomly. Listen, it's not going to be random. But every week I'm going to give you the opportunity. So if you memorize the verse, I would love for you to come forward and lead us in the declaration of this verse, okay? So memorize the verse. It's something that I pray that you will because I do believe that that is the crux. That is the heart. That is the foundation of the book of James and what James is talking about. Hence, the reason for our series title, Testify, because we are going through tests that are going to testify to who God is. And so today, if you'll follow along with me in your outline here, as we learned in the first message, we are God's scattered people, not his sheltered people. Are you here? When he says in the beginning, just look real quick at verse 1. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are scattered, say scattered. Scattered. We are God's scattered people, not his sheltered people. So what that means is that we are promised, if you look at your outline here, persecution, a type of testing when we desire to live a godly life. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 tells us that for all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so that is a type of testing of our faith. The truth is this, is that whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, you will experience trials in this life. The difference is Jesus is either walking with you or not. That's the difference. If you are a believer, then Jesus promises to walk with you through every trial, through everything that you face. You're going to go through things, whether you walk with him or not. You're going to lose, you know, people are going to lose their jobs, whether they believe in Jesus or not. People are going to experience sickness. They're going to experience difficulties in families. There's things that are going to happen in their lives. You know, it's just, it's just part of being in a fallen world. That's it. But the reality is that we are not sheltered from sin. Here's the question. The question is, how will persecution, trials, and testing leave our faith? That's the big question that we have to ask ourselves is when I go through testing, is it going to make me more like Jesus or less like Jesus? 
Is it going to help me love Jesus more or is it going to cause me to care about Jesus less? Is it going to elevate my understanding of who God is or is it going to diminish my understanding of who God is? See, because what I want you to realize is that your memory verse tells you that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces something. And then if you look at verse 20, look at verse 20 here. It says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so what that tells me is that everything that we face has the ability to produce something. And when we go through testing in our faith, it has the ability to produce the righteousness of God, the patience, the character that God wants us to have, or the adverse, which is to produce a person who doesn't care about the Lord. And so we have the eternal perspective. That's the reason why I wanted us to read verses 12, uh, or, or verse 12 there, because we closed there last week. But I wanted you to see verse 12. When we have the eternal perspective that we are living for the king who died for us and rose again, who will crown us with the crown of life, then and only then, will we be able to count it all joy when we fall into various trials? It's only then. It is only when we have the eternal perspective. It is only when we are living for the glory and the honor of Jesus, the glory of, honor of God that is to come. It is only then that we will live and be able to count it all joy. If not, you know what we'll do? We'll continue to count all of our problems. We'll continue to just be discouraged and, frust and frustrated and overwhelmed and, and not wanting to glorify and honor God because we're not seeing it from the eternal perspective that the one who has passed through the test, the one who has made it through the other side of the test, that is the one that is going to do what? That is the one that is going to be crowned with the crown of life. All of life we're going to walk through testing in this life. And here's the last paragraph there in your outline. We must understand amidst the trials of faith, while we are literally on the witness stand, pause for a moment, please. We are literally every day of our lives on the witness stand of our faith. Every day our lives are testifying to either we are servants of the most high God or we are servants of ourselves. Every day we are testifying to either the power of the gospel or we are testifying that the gospel has no power. Are you here? This is a daily thing that we are daily testifying. As we go through tests in our faith, we are testifying of this. But here is what I want you to understand, is that it's not just about us. There is someone else. Look at your outline here. We are, there is someone else greater who is on the trial, who is on trial in our hearts, and that is the God who saved us, the God who is good, who tempts no one and cannot be tempted by evil. Hear me when I say this. Trials have the ability to cloud our judgment or crystallize our focus. What you and I have to understand in context, say context is king. Context is king. What I mean by that is that when we look at these scriptures here, we often will pull scriptures out of context and just apply them. And here's what I want you to know is that when we're going to look at how people sin, that's a general reality of what happens here. But I want you to realize that in the context here, what is happening is when our faith is being tried, when our faith is being tested, God is on trial in our hearts. Because we start to experience this temptation to sin against him, to dishonor him, to blame him for our sin, to blame him and say he's not really good, to blame him and say he really doesn't have a good purpose in my life, to reject his word. That's all of what James is talking about here. That's the sin and that's the title of our message today, the temptation. In the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, we are tempted to dishonor God. On so many different levels. And this right here is what I want you to realize. This is the big idea. God allows the testing of our faith for our development, not our demise. That's the big idea I want you to get today. 
He allows us to go through testing in our faith. He's going to, listen to me now, he's going to allow your faith to be tested. As long as you are breathing on this earth, your faith is going to be tested. You are going to experience tests of your faith. And I want you to know this, and you have to get this in your heart. It is not for your destruction. It is not for your demise. It is for your development. He wants you to grow through this. He doesn't want you to be destroyed. He doesn't want you to fall apart. He wants you to be stronger. He wants you to have a stronger faith in him on the other side. That is the reason why he allows the testing of our faith. First thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we cannot be deceived regarding temptation to sin. We cannot be deceived regarding temptation to sin. While trials that we talked about last week are external or are external pressures, they're outside things that come. Temptation are internal proddings. Notice the difference. Trials come from the outside. Hardship comes from the outside. Temptation comes from within. See, I'm not drawn like, you know, for some of you in here, you know, my, my son, for example. My son, if you tell him burger and fries, he's going to jump for joy. You tell my son chocolate chip cookie, he's going to be like, I want that. That's what I say. I'm like, what? But I really don't, I really don't like chocolate chip cookies either, to be completely honest. But, 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 but the truth is, if you told me apple fritter, like, I'd be like, yo, let's go. Like, let's do it, right? In like 26 days. But listen, here's the thing, right? So at the end of, the, at, at the end of this thing, right, when, 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 you, when you see this, if, if it's not inside of you, guess what? It doesn't draw you. Are you here? If it's not in there, no one can draw. Listen, if I am not attracted to something, it doesn't get my attention. If I don't, if it's not inside of me, so that's the reason why we understand the gospel, that we are all born into sin, are we not? And we have a sinful nature, and our inclinations are always going to be what? From birth, it's not something that we develop. It's not nurture. It's nature, right? It's something that's there. And so what happens is there is this foolishness that is bound up in our hearts. According to the book of Proverbs, it says that there is foolishness bound up in the heart of a child. And what, and what happens is it says by the rod of correction, you drive it away from them. Here's the thing that happens. If you are not correcting, disciplining, developing your children, you know what they do? They grow to be spoiled brats and they become grown fools. And what they will do is they will continue to sin against God. And they may go as far as ending up in prison, ending up dying young, ending up diseased, ending up doing all kind of foolishness because what? Because there was no one there to drive foolishness out of their heart. That doesn't mean abuse. That means correcting the foolishness that's within us. And so what happens is James is saying, when you are going through testing, don't let anyone say God is the one who is tempting them because God does not tempt anyone, nor can he be tempted by evil. Again, God is not trying to bring evil into your life. This is what James is trying to say. This is his thought. He's not trying to bring evil into your life. He's not trying to show, you know, hurt you or destroy you. Testing happens. It's something that occurs to bring us closer to God, to bring out the character of Christ within us. But look at some words here that are really important in verse, if, if you look here at verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away. Say drawn away. By his own desires. Say own desires. And enticed. Say enticed. 
So if you're not afraid to highlight, underline, and all that stuff in your Bible, you can do that. If you're taking notes, you can write some stuff down here. But I want you to understand these two words, two words very, very, very specific, the word drawn away and the word enticed. These are words that are used in hunting. And so in the Greek, the word for drawn away is the word exelco, and it means to draw out or, 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 or lure forth as in hunting or trap. So kind of like a trap you would set for a bear or for a raccoon or something like that. If you were trying to hunt something like that, some type of animal, that's what this one is talking about. And then the next word is the word deleazo, and that word is the, that, that's the one that means entice. That means to bait or to catch by a bait with a hook. And so what he is saying here, he is, he is using the, the picture of hunting. And he's saying that the only way that you are going to be enticed is because there is something that is inside you. Something draws you out. Something is enticing you, pulling you in that direction the same way that you would see a trap that is set. And here's what I want you to realize is that the way that the enemy is, is he makes the bait look so good that you forget about the consequences. The bait to sin looks so great, you forget about the consequences. You don't know how many people have thrown their marriages away for 30 seconds of pleasure, and I mean 30 seconds of pleasure. Seriously. You know, you know how many people have destroyed their family because they simply saw something that looked so good and it lasted but seconds. And you know what? They'll blame, guess who? Well, if my wife was this or my husband was this, Come on now. That's what they'll do. Well, you know, if you were more, hmm, really? So now your sin is my fault. Now, now, now me acting up is, 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 is that, that, that's, that, that's, that's because of, you know, someone else. Hold on a second. That's what we do. It's because it's in us. It's not, 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 not about the other person. It's not about God. But these things, are, they draw us away. And so this is what James is communicating. He's saying these people are drawn away. They are drawn away by their own desire. They're enticed by their own desires. You know, for, the, for those of you that like to fish, the other one, that luring, you know, that, that idea. What is it? You know, when you, go, when you go out fishing, what do you do? You get a bait that looks just like, if it's not live bait, you get a bait that looks just like live bait. And you do your best to do what? To mimic whatever it is. If it's a worm, you want to mimic. You know, mimic a worm movement. It's a fly. You want to mimic a fly. You want to mimic that so what? So that way the fish forgets, hey, that doesn't look natural. That doesn't look right. That, that There's something off about the way that worm is moving, and they forget about that. They're drawn to it. They hit the bait, and guess what? They're caught, and then they're dinner. And is that not what the enemy wants to do to us? He wants to do the same thing. He wants to bring this destruction. And so here's the thing. I mean, it's all, you know, God is always going to be under trial. And in this case, again, it is the temptation to blame God for the desire to sin. God, if you wouldn't have allowed this trial in my life, I wouldn't be acting like this. This is the issue, church. God, if you wouldn't have allowed me to go, if you wouldn't allow me to be tested in this way, God. Hold on a second. You don't control the test. The teacher does. I know y'all don't like to hear that. My daughter, she's in school, and her and I have good conversations, and some days she comes out of school and she's like, I felt amazing today after that test. And then there are other days she's like, I wish my teacher knew how to make a test. <laughs> you know, Jonathan, he's, he's studying for a PhD, right? 
Jonathan, he, he told me about a professor that he had, and he asked the professor, he was like, you know, usually professors are generous, and they're like, listen, you know, follow this outline, and you're going to be okay, study these things, these things, these things, these things, and you, you had five books, right? Was it five books for that particular class? So he asked the teacher, he said to the teacher, said, hey, teach, um, can you let me know, like, what, you know, tell me what you're going to, you know, test us on, and he's like, well, it's going to be some from this book, some from this book, some, he's like, okay, but can you like, he's like, yeah, some from that book, some from this and so Jonathan had to read all five books that are like this thick. I said he's studying for his PhD, like this thick, glory to God. So that way he, he ensured when the test came, he did what? He passed the test. See, here's the thing with us is that we hope God gives us some kind of outline. Hopefully the pastor's preaching what I need to hear. Hold on a second. Wait a second. First and foremost, you have a relationship with Jesus. Amen. I would hope that I can confirm some stuff for you, but I am not God, and I want you to understand that. And I am not always going to be saying what you need to hear. Hello. I hope sometimes I say something you need to hear. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. We don't need to be looking at an outline. We need to be looking at the book. We need to be in the scriptures. Because what does the Bible say? Psalm 119.11, it tells us very clearly. David said this. He says, I have hid thine word in my heart, thy word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. He didn't, he, he didn't hide an outline like, hey, I might be tested here. I might be tested here. No, no, no. I have hid your word in my heart. I love what Dr. Um, Stanley says. You know, a long time ago, I heard it a few years ago, and I always quote this. He's like, look, man, I've memorized Scripture. That's the reason why I challenge you to memorize the Scripture here. He's like, I memorized Scripture. He's like, I can't get into a decent sin without 16 Scriptures popping up in my head. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Like, he's like, man, I'm and it's not like he's trying to get into sin, right? What he's saying is, as I'm getting ready to act in sin or I'm getting ready to do, I'm, be, I'm, I'm getting ready to act out in rage or anger, all of a sudden all these scriptures about anger start to pop up. Why? Because Jesus said something to his disciples. He said that the Holy Spirit would come to bring to remembrance everything that I have said. Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit cannot bring to remembrance what you have not read. If you have not been in God's word, if you have not been soaking in the scriptures, if you have not been meditating on the word of God, if you have not been memorizing scripture, guess what? When trials come, when temptation comes, you're going to be like, oh, let, let me see, okay, what, what, what song did we sing Sunday? What was it that bitch was, well, hold on, hold on a second, time out. What should be happening is there should be an overflow from your heart, from your soul, a deposit that God has made as you have been spending time in his word so that way when temptation comes, guess what? You can overcome that temptation. Because if not, the next thing that happens here, verse 15, it says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You hear that? He gives the example of how, how this happens. It's like birth. The idea comes, listen, it's, it's at the idea stage that you repent. It's at the idea stage that you recognize, hold on a second, those are not godly thoughts. It's at the idea stage. Listen to me, for, for, for all, all the married couples in here, I want to throw something out. I just want to just say this. Listen, don't wait until you have decided to get a divorce to come talk to me. Hello. Let me say that again. Do not wait until you are done. We got to call Bishop. Why are you calling me for to tell me you're done? Hello. So I can spend the next however, minute, however long you're going to sit with me to convince you you should not be done. You know what? You're already done. So don't wait for that. Don't wait for that time to come. That's how people come to pastors, by the way. That's why I'm saying it twice. 
Because they never come to you like in the middle of like when they're really going through stuff, when they start thinking about it. They don't do that. They, they come when it's all over. Listen to me. When, when thoughts start entering, that is when you need to address them. How do you address them? With the Word of God. With the Scriptures. Not, 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 uh, not allowing yourself to justify your thoughts, but to go ahead and look at, okay, if, if, I, if I allow this thing to move from the place of thought, right, if I allow this thing to be fully, fully conceived inside of me, then it gives birth to sin. Then I act in sin, and then what does sin do? Sin brings death. What does the Bible tell us in the book of Romans? I believe it's 623. I'm not totally sure about that. But doesn't it say that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so what I want you to understand is this, is that whenever you and I are going through trial and we decide to sin, you want me to tell you something? Every time we do that, almost every time, you know what, you know what is affected the most on, on all of us? Our relationships with others. When we go through trials, when we go through difficulty, because you know what? Our attitudes change. Our thoughts start to change towards people. The way we treat people begins to be different. The way we view people begins to be different. That's what begins to happen. And then all of a sudden you start treating people differently. You start acting a different way towards them. And all of a sudden this relationship that was vibrant, that was good, all of a sudden dies. It's not all of a sudden, but it happened over time. Because our attitudes change. Opportunities that could have been, things that could have happened for us. Because we decided to sin rather than walk in righteousness, what happens is we end up seeing those things be shut down. And at the end of it, let me tell you the one that's most important to me right now. Obviously, relationships matter. Obviously, opportunities matter. But eternal damnation matters more to me. Because if I allow my heart to overflow with a, with, with a blaming of God for my sin, if I allow my heart to overflow in that manner toward him and I continue to live in sin and I walk in sin and continue to be that way, then guess what? I have no hope except eternal condemnation. Are you here? And he's writing to the church, warning them of this. Listen, this is what happens when we allow sin to continue on unchecked in our lives. Here's the deal, y'all. We need to make sure that we are not playing with sin, that we are not pacifying sin, that we are not trying to medicate our sin. Hello. Are you here? I, I, I want you to understand this. Jesus died for sin. Sin is not something to be laughed about. Sin is not something to be played with. Sin is not something, listen, I'm going to tell you how we need to deal with sin. We need to confront sin, we need to confess sin, and we need to condemn sin. Well, that sounds really rough. It's okay. Jesus died and that death was rough. The reality is we need to confront the sin in our lives. Our thoughts that don't glorify God, we need to confront those. Listen, and, and, and let me say this. We don't just need to conf confront the sins in our own lives. We need to con confront the sins in our brothers' and our sisters' lives as well. Are you here? Hear what I'm saying? We confront sin in love graciously, but nonetheless, sin is sin. I love my son. If I see my son doing something foolish, I need to confront that, right? That's just a reality. My brothers, I love my brothers, and if I see them, I'm talking about my, my biological brothers. I love my brothers, and if I see my brothers doing something that is foolish, I'm going to let them know because I love them. I'm not just going to let them continue to walk in their foolishness, no matter how much they argue with me, no matter how much they disagree with me, no matter how much it costs me. At the end of the day, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to let them know what's up. They don't want to hear that. And listen, they may ignore me. They may decide they don't want to talk to me anymore. That's okay. That is okay. I love you more than all that.
But we need to confess sin. Confess sin unto the Lord. If you sin against someone, let them know. Confess that sin before God. And listen, you and I need to condemn sin. Sin is sin. It put Jesus on the cross. We don't play with it. And if we're going to be God's holy people, sin can't be in the house. Are you here? The second thing I'll ask you to repeat this after me. Say, we cannot be deceived regarding God's goodness. We cannot be deceived regarding God's goodness. And so I have five minutes to run through these last two points. You think I talk fast? You're about to see. Let's go. We cannot be deceived regarding God's goodness. We cannot be deceived regarding his goodness. I might need 10 minutes. Amen. I'm just going to let you know. I'm going to take 10. I'm going to take, can I, can I have five more minutes? Yes. All right. So I got like 20. So I got 30 minutes right here. We got it. Let's go. I'm going to take 10 minutes. We're going to do this in 10. But, but let's look at the scripture here, verse 16 and 17. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And I love this because he like sandwiches this statement in between two separate thoughts. So the first thought is what? Don't blame God for your temptation. The next thoughts after that are what? It's telling don't, don't, don't look at God as not being good and don't look at God as not having a purpose, right? So you can apply it to either way. But the next verse says this. He says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there there is no variation or shadow of turning. I want you to get this. From the garden, Satan's greatest weapon is deception. And his, desi his desire is to always bring God's goodness into question. Are you here? You don't have to read it right now, but you can go back later on. Look at Genesis chapter 3. What was he bringing into question? Well, you know what? God just doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he's keeping something from you. In other words, he's not a really good God. You know, he, he's trying to hold back something from you. Listen, God is never trying to hold back something from us except his judgment. Did you hear me? That is the only thing God is trying to keep you from is his judgment. That's the only thing he's trying to keep you from is experiencing his wrath, is experiencing his condemnation. That's what he does not want us to experience. He wants us to experience his fullness, his love, his grace. And so when he says no, he's really saying yes. Are you here? And so what, he, what, what he, Satan does is he tries to bring us to this place where we start to question God. You see it within our culture, don't you? If you had any kind of conversation with someone, how many of you, would, and we don't have to do a show of hands, but how many of you have had a conversation with someone when you're talking to them about God, and as you're having this conversation with them about God, you hear them say, well, if there is a God, why? If there is a God, why poverty? If there is a God, why abuse? If there is a God, why rape? If there is a God, why incest? If there is a God, why are there, you know, why, why, why? All day long, what are they bringing into question? God's goodness. That God can't be good. That God you're trying to tell me about, he can't exist. Because if he exists, he would not allow these things. And I love the idea, you know, the thought of, you know, I've heard this before. You know, where if, you, if you're looking at a guy, right, who needs to, you know, a haircut. You know, someone needs a haircut really bad. And then you say, you use that as an example. You said, hey, man, you know, if there is a barber, then why does that guy look like that? Because he didn't go into the barber shop. Hello. It isn't because the barbershop doesn't exist. It is because he chose not to go to the place where he can get cleaned up. Hello, somebody. He chose not to go to the place. And so does that mean that if everybody turned to God, that the world would be perfect? Of course it wouldn't be perfect. But you know what it would mean? It would mean that Jesus would come and make all things new. Hello. If everybody decided to turn to him, I'm not, it's, it's not going to happen. I'm saying if. Hello. The Bible makes it clear that there are few that find that narrow path. But here's what I want you to understand. That if everybody decided life would not be perfect, life won't be perfect until Jesus comes. But there would be a lot less consequences of sin that we see in our culture, that's for sure. Just as God doesn't tempt anyone, we must realize everything good we have is a gift from him. And this is a result of his character. Listen, his goodness never changes. 
He's a good God no matter what. No matter the trial you're facing, no matter the hardship you're facing, he is a good God. That's what he declares. I love verse 17. Verse 17 is so filled with rich truth. Look what it says. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. What that is saying, when it says it comes down, that is like a continual action. God continues to be good to us even in the midst of trials. Are you here? Even in the midst of difficulties, God continues to be good to us. He continues to be good in our lives. He continues to bless us. We're not worthy of that. He doesn't bless us because we're so great. He blesses us because he is a good God. This is what the scriptures teach. But he he says, the father of lights. And so what is he saying? He's saying that he's using a a picture here. The father of lights, the father of the moon, the the father of the sun, the father of the stars, the father of every created light that has been created by God. He is greater than the greatest lights. He's the father of all of them. But look what he says here. He says, the father, he's, he's the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. No variation, no changing. No, listen, God remains the same. My wife and I, we were going and we were looking at, our, at, at the new house that's being built. And as we were looking at it, we were sitting by the house. And, you know, I have to apologize to you because I don't really, you know, know, know a compass very well. I'm just going to confess that right now. And so we were both like, nobody eats soggy waffles. Well, which way does that go? And so we went through all that. And so we're sitting there because it's like almost midday. And we're thinking about, okay, which way is the sun going to beat on our, on our door? And so, we, you know, we come to find out, you know, the way the sun's going to rise. So the sun rises in the east, correct? Right, right, right. Y'all got, we got that one good, okay. Sunrise in the east, sets in the west. And so we, we come to understand that. And so if you, when it's talking about there's no variation in him, there is no shadow of turning in him, right? It it's, it's gives us a picture of this thing. It's a sundial. Y'all know what a sundial is? And so the way that people back in the, back in the old days, y'all, I don't, I'm, I'm about to age myself right now. But some of y'all remember Crocodile Dundee? Y'all remember that movie, right? Okay, so remember when they went out there, Crocodile Dundee was like acting like he was the man, and he was like, well, what time is it? So he looks up at the sky, and he's like, well, it's about this time. But he had really looked at a watch. Remember that, that scene there? All right, so anyway, the point is, the, the, the way that the real old school, you know, folks told time, they could tell the time by the way the shadow was being cast. And so they knew what time of day it was because of the way the shadow was being cast. And what God is saying here, there is no variation in me. There is no shadow of turning. And so listen, you can be wherever you are. The sun always shines at the same brightness. Now, you may see a shadow depending on where you are. And that's the issue when we're going through trials is that there are shadows there that come to do what? They come to block things. They come to distort things. But the reality is the sun remains the same and doesn't change. There's no change in him. It may look like he changed, but he hasn't. I remember being a kid, you know, I'm a Florida boy. And so, you know, it rains all the time in Florida, especially during the summertime when you want to play. Hello. You know, for some of you now, younger people, you're like, I don't even care if it rains because you just stay inside all the time. But when I was a kid, we didn't have all that stuff that you have. And so we were loving and wanting, desiring to be outside. We wanted to go outside and run. We wanted to go outside and play football and all this kind of stuff. And I remember as a kid looking up at the sky and and I just knew this. I was like, man, I can see the light that is shining behind those clouds. Can the sun just come through? Hello, somebody. Just let the sun shine through because if the sun shines through, everything's going to be okay. The truth of the matter is the sun was shining. It was just behind some clouds. There's no shadow of changing in him. we got to move on. Number three here. We cannot say we cannot be deceived regarding God's purposes. 
We cannot be deceived regarding God's purpose. Look at verse 18 and verse 20, and we'll bring it home here. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his, cre of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so the first thing he tells us is what? Oh, he tells us, don't blame him for your temptation. He's not tempting you. The second thing he tells us, listen, God is always good. He doesn't change. He remains the same. And the third thing that we realize is that God's purposes, listen, don't be deceived about his purposes. He did what? It says that by his will, by his sovereign grace, by his mercy, by his love, he convicted us of our sins. He drew us out of darkness. He brought us into this relationship with him. By his purposes, he did that. And listen, what the enemy wants you to think is, well, why did God save me? My life was going to be so difficult. You remember the children of Israel? Remember them? Remember how they were when they got out of Egypt? They got out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness, and they automatically started questioning God. Like, why'd you bring us out here to starve and die? That's the same stuff the enemy wants us to believe. I want to say this again. With or without Jesus, you're going to have problems. The question is, are you going to have Jesus or not? Are you going to have him in your problems? Is he going to walk with you through your problems? That's the, that, that, that's the question here. And so he brings us forth as what? As a first fruits, right? As a type of first fruits. As those who are going to demonstrate the kingdom of God to this world. As those who are going to show this world the love and the power of God. But look at what he says here in verse 19 to verse 20. Remember what I said earlier. Verse 3 says what? Look at verse 3 in your Bible. Verse 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Say produces. The testing of your faith produces patience. And then he says in these verses here, in verses 19 and 20, he says what? He says that every man be slow to or quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You hear that word produce again? So in one, pay, uh, when, when the testing of your faith produces patience, that's what it should be producing, the character of God, but the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So here's what I want you to get. You have two ears and one mouth. You, could, you should listen a lot more than you're speaking. But what is he saying here? He is saying that when we are going through trials, it is real easy to start talking bad about God. It is real easy to start saying things flippantly like, man, God, where are you at? Like, God has left me. Listen, just go on Facebook a little bit. You'll see some people who are real flipping with their words. People are going through trials, and I know people are hurting, and I know people are going through stuff. But the reality is, God has said, be quick to Listen. Be quick to hear. Be quick to hear my word. Be quick to hear what I am saying so that way your faith is built. So you are not doing what? You are not speaking things you shouldn't be speaking. And thirdly, that you are not turning to this place of wrath. And what is this wrath about? I have 23 seconds. I'm going to tell you what it is. This wrath, it is about what? It is about our rejection because of resentment towards God. And so we become angry with him. And then you know what happens? Our trial doesn't produce patience. It produces wrath, and that is unrighteousness. God wants to bring righteousness in and through our lives, through the trials of our lives. So here's my closing question for you. How are you handling the temptation to sin against God amidst the testing of your faith? How are you handling that? As you're going through trial, as you're going through hardship, and maybe you're not going through something major in your life right now, but you're being tempted, how are you dealing with that temptation? The beauty, again, of the gospel is that Jesus died to offer us grace, to offer us a new identity, so that way when we fall short, when we are sinning against God, you know what we can do? We can call upon him. We can say, God, forgive us, and he does. 
We can call upon him for grace so that way we can trust him. And instead of mistrusting him, we can place our trust in him. He's the only one that can keep us in the midst of our temptation to sin against our God. Amen? So I stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you so much for each person that is here. And I know that there are some in this place, Lord God, that are hurting today, that are struggling today. Lord God, that are battling against their flesh today, that are battling against sin today. And Lord, I just lift them to you and I pray that they would know your love for them. I pray that they would know your purposes for them. I pray that they would not, Lord God, reject your word, but that they would hear your word, that they would respond to your word in faith, Lord God. I pray that we would be a people who are faith-filled, who are honorable to you, who bring you the glory that you are worthy of. I pray that you would strengthen us, that we may not sin against you, that we would be able to testify of your power, of your goodness, of your gospel, of your purposes for your creation, Lord God, that are good and not evil, dear Lord. I pray today that you would strengthen each and every heart of my brothers and sisters in this place. May your name be glorified in us, and may we not give in to the temptations to sin against you, but may we bring you the glory that you are worthy of. We pray this in Jesus' good name, and everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Give God a hand of praise. He's awesome.